This week, we have Brigadore's own Hugh Monahan. Humble goes cry engine crazy with its new bundle. Kickstarter has more issues. Issues. I wrote that twice. And we go on a hot date with Deadbolt. Josh was supposed to write this, but I took one for the team. This is episode 85 of the Indie Game Riot. Everybody, this is Josh, and we're here with episode 85 of Indie Game Riot, the podcast. Not the website, the podcast. I know it's confusing to no one. Um, it wasn't before. It wasn't here. before we had the website. Yeah, I'm here with Tech. That's Tech, and Rev isn't here as you can see because something about I don't know. Hit he has like 20 sticks. people over at his place, so he has no way to you know be alone. Um, and he's hitting people with sticks, as always, I guess. Uh, but instead, for at least now, we have Hugh uh, Monahan from um, uh, Brigador, the game. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was trying to like, it was like Stellar Jockey's Brigador, and I, I was gonna mash them together, for, but then I separated it. But anyway, we're gonna be interviewing him later. But he's gonna stick around for at least the beginning of the show, up until the interview, or up through the interview, I should say. Um, <laughs> I'm leaving once you start the interview. Yeah. Yep. yeah. See you guys. Um, so we're gonna be talking to him about his game Brigador and his experience within the within the indie game community, as well as um, uh, the the article that we kind of was brought to our attention, um, or not article, but it was a just a post really post. Um, about. How much it costs to make indie games and how much you should charge and blah 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 and we've all we've talked about that so much and i feel like that's like really been a central focus uh for the past i don't know how many shows we've year <laughs> well we talked about it multiple times but really like in the past month or so yeah um so it, it'll be an interesting conversation um because there's it's too bad rev is not here because he, yeah. rev is like really on like he's like aggressively on the side of like he he claims, and he is he is an, a weird guy and an outlier. But he claims that if he if if so if he had the money and you were to charge like five hundred bucks for Brigador for just a copy, he would pay for that for support to support the dev and because if, if uh, it was within his means, yeah. Um, tech I think is in the middle. I'm actually on the side of the consumer. Well, but not, you. not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, I will say that the the post that you wrote uh, gave me more understanding as to where devs come from um, and the cost of things. But we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, That's later in the good. show. Teaser there, John. <laughs> First of all, though, um, thanks by the way, prep for this new, this slightly different uh, overlay. Some information there, Facebook, Twitter, Steam, Patreon. And then the number, we haven't announced the number for a long time, but of course you can call. Uh, it's Actually, that number's wrong, Prep. <laughs> I just realized. It's 717-508-RIOT. Oh, yeah. uh, you can leave a message and we can play on the show and respond to that. 717, not 707. So, Prep, you, you're fired. Um, I don't pay you to mess up, because <laughs> I don't pay you at all. Um, 
And of course the website's over there. But first, what is going on in your lives? And to be good hosts, as always, we'll let the guest go first. How's your previous week from from Friday to now been? Uh, well, um, we just got back from Kansas, actually. So the Stellar Jockeys team, there's four of us. It's myself, my brother Jack, who's the artist on the project. I'm the designer. We have two programmers. Uh, three of us are based in Champaign, Illinois. And then my brother is currently based out of Kansas. Um, so to work on a couple of things and just to kind of basically sort of game jam, but on Brigador, uh, we the three of us packed up our equipment and drove out there. Uh, and so that we just got back two days ago. Um, so that, that was that was good. First time I'd seen my brother's kids in a while, and it's the first time actually in five years of working on Brigador that we've actually had all four of us in the same room. Is that um, is that nice? Like kind of having that energy between everyone. Just oh, it's fantastic. Work? Yeah, uh, just we worked faster, um, and uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's with. A lot of the programs and things that are the infrastructure that's set up now, it's very much viable to work remotely, but that's still, you still can't be just having everyone in the same room. Yeah. Um, now there's, there's humorous sides of that, like uh, four guys in a small room can be a bit of a sweat box. But, <laughs> um, and of course it got warm the day we got there, Ooh. but otherwise, um, otherwise it was great. Um, so that, that's, that's been like, that was the main thing. And my, my brother's uh, wife, so I guess my sister-in-law, um, she cooked dinner for us every day, which is probably the best I've eaten in like three or four years for any continued, like extended period of time. So it was very nice. It's just all you can taste is ramen now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> is this what strawberries taste like? <laughs> what, did, what was the smell like in that room <laughs> she brought up? <laughs> MSG oh. just smells like MSG. <laughs> MSG. What, what, what do you sweat? No, I was talking about the bio. oh the sweat. Oh. oh no, no. Fortunately, we had we had good we had good circulation, okay. so it wasn't too bad. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was still in the realm of of reason. Um, so not too bad. All right. Well, <clears throat> tech. How how's your week been? I know my my week. Okay. Um. <coughs> there, there's something like important and then there's something funny but like the important thing is like kind of real and i don't know if i should bring it up should i bring it up that's your personal business man you want to it's wanna, not it's not no it's not my wanna, personal business it happened at work do you want to lay it out right here on the show <laughs> I, i'll i'll give the abbreviated this version. is uh we, we can pull a uh, here an, an individual a, a new employee at my place of employment decided that uh he was going to steal some money from a register Oh. And he did it three times, and we caught him. But in the course of <laughs> like in a uh, like in a punked fashion, catching, in in the in the course of somewhat, and and this guy isn't uh, bright or quick <laughs> or um, smart or moral. Really, like he wasn't. He 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 had like marbles were missing. Like that that thing was like knocked over. Who and, uh, who hired him? Yeah, exactly. If it's that obvious. That's what a lot of people are saying. Um, but and and he ends up like basically threatening both uh one of our managers and one of our cooks with like like fighting them, like attacking them. 
and he goes like completely crazy. They almost call the cops, and he works Tuesdays still. He's still working. He still works there, and it's like, and I don't know. They should have called the why. cops. When I they found know. out he was stealing in the first place. And and it's like... And he's either sucking a for, dick or he's got some shit on someone. I don't know. I think it might even be that the store has weird numbers and they don't want corporate getting down our butts. Which is really dumb because I honestly don't really feel safe with with around that. And Jesse definitely doesn't feel safe around that. And so I'm like... The, everybody everybody working there is, is great. Everybody else... But so like, guy, and, and everyone the job on edge. Is fine, but but at this point, I'm I don't want to work there anymore. Well, you yourself really. can call corporate, to be honest. No, as in what it is is it's not about like getting corporate to breathe down their necks. It's we get. Uh, well, if there's a safety issue and your manager's not doing anything about it, no, it's weird. I don't know. I don't, man, you I don't have the right. Enough. I know I don't get paid enough. I don't even know the whole situation. I only well, know well. the stories, but. Oh God! Hey man, it's your and then life. I had to deal with, and then I had, today I had to deal with a lady who, um, by the way, Hugh, I deliver pizzas, <laughs> <laughs> real high up on the totem pole there. Uh, I had to deliver this lady whose address said that it was like I'll just tell me she came to the door uh, naked. It was, Please, it was twenty. No, Damn. it was twenty-seven oh four, uh, South Street. Okay, and there was no twenty-seven oh four South Street. Um. And and that street's really weird because the houses face each other, the the um like the the townhomes face each other and there's no road in between and and I'm I'm calling her I've called her three times and I've called my manager back at the store and I'm like, where the, she where's just the house? Threw the pizza out the window and left. Wrong 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 number. It was like twenty seven forty seven. I was never gonna get that. And then she can't open her front door. <laughs> She was like looking for a key for her front door, and I didn't understand that. What? I was just like, "Is she fucking with me? Like, who <laughs> who needs a key to unlock the back of their door?" And so she's like, "Oh, just walk around. I'll I'll get I'll I'll Can get you it just through open the garage. A window? I'll get it through the garage." So I walk around this like a death complex, trap. right? And yeah, exactly. At this point, I'm getting kind of sketched out. <laughs> and so so I see the light on the garage turning on. So she's like, "Does she not know how to, how to open the garage door?" Like, and I'm not trying to call this woman dumb because she wasn't dumb it was just a very strange situation and then she ends up coming out the front door or back around the whole building <laughs> and picking the pizza up there and i'm i'm just, just sitting there like this took 10 she minutes she tip you. this took 10 minutes of my life i got like five bucks which was great <laughs> i was gonna I, say that's not that bad that. at least but it's like <laughs> what what you got your address wrong you can't open your front door like what is going on maybe she's crazy <laughs> i don't know she didn't seem crazy. Well, she she didn't seem crazy. I'm still waiting for someone to come to the door naked for you. Yeah, it's never it's never happened. I, I hope it does. It has, it has it not happens. happened. Uh, well. But yeah, that was that was my week. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that happened to you. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, my week was boring uh, today, though. I was explaining before the show started. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. Everything blends together now. But I've had this. First of all, you know, I've had this cough for a while. Yeah, it traveled bit. from my chest and now it's like in my sinuses. And every time I cough, it feels like my brain's just like going like like that against my skull. Oh, so like it, I literally have to hold my head like this so it doesn't hurt. It's weird. <laughs> and like you I need to take you need to take some. I feel some like I'm gonna have a brain hemorrhage. Dude. If you can find cheap like like store brand mucus reducer, it's gonna be the worst tasting pill you ever take. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later. 
you're just going to be be clear. Well, I don't know. I will. I don't know. I promise. It's uh, they're magical. And then, of course, like I said, I was talking before the show, but uh, I forgot what day it was today. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting here. We had a movie night for my kids, um, and it's like 8:45. You know, uh, they're already in bed at that point. And I'm playing Batman, thinking that everything's cool. And uh, thinking about what we're gonna do tomorrow, <laughs> and then my wife comes out, and uh, lo and behold, don't you have a, don't you have a show? And I'm thinking, I don't know, I didn't know it was eight forty five, so I'm thinking like, oh fuck, what time is it? I'm thinking I'm, I'm like the t- worst freaking host of all time in Houston. And you're like, where's this jackass at? And like <laughs> waiting on Skype for he's got things to do, um, and then of course tech is late, but uh, yeah, you know, so it didn't really make a difference. So he's a jackass. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to make you feel bad about that for, for the whole show, by the way. Um, <laughs> you've got the sad face. You're like, what? Oh, you're not even listening. Never mind. It's cool. <laughs> uh, and then tomorrow we're actually uh, probably going down to Baltimore uh, oh. to the aquarium. Cool. The aquarium in Baltimore is great. It is. I've been and there. I've been there. Literally nothing else of value. <laughs> Inner Harbor is nice. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I wouldn't step okay. foot out of Inner Harbor. I, the first time I okay. ever went there, by the way, I went for my class trip. No, it was the second time. Second right. time I went there. I went for my class trip, and literally, we were, like, at the border of the Inner Harbor and what, what would be just the city. Yeah. And uh, you could hear, like, bullets, just just gunshots yeah. down the road. It's not, I don't think it's that bad now. Uh, I, and I heard I think that there are so many there are so many great, friendly people in Baltimore. Like, Baltimore is a really... Uh, open and accepting city. Well, that's thanks but to I don't go there. O'Malley uh who dropped out of the presidential race, but he seems yeah. like uh like he did a good job of of making it not you know, a shithole. I, I don't know enough. I don't really pay attention enough to And that's not an endorsement by me so anyone uh you know who hates O'Malley. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, you know, pull the stick out of your ass and and you know what but you know what <laughs> this is gonna be the weirdest segue ever but do you know what o'malley uh did that he he really tried really hard to to fix stop drugs L- lower lower drugs but in this case we would like you to, to not do drugs injection indie news injection but don't, don't do drugs don't do drugs <laughs> but indie news injection are you bored with the same old games yeah why, then give yourself an Indie News Injection. Thanks, Indie Games. This week, Indie News Injection, we're going to start off with, uh, with a nice announcement uh, for those of you in Japan. Actually, we have someone in Japan in the chat right now. Um, there is a convention called Bit Summit. It is coming back to Japan in Tokyo. Um, it is Japan's uh, independent game festival, basically. Uh, it's going to be happening July 9th and the 10th. In the me my I'm not going to pronounce this right Miyako, Messi, Exhibit Hall. <laughs> oh, and actually, it's not going to be in in Tokyo. It's a uh, uh, in Kyoto. Kyoto. Uh, it wasn't Tokyo before, but uh, in Kyoto, yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, it's just like the Japanese version of independent games festival is what it seems like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it because I've never been to Japan to go to it. <laughs> But uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was fun to because we have obviously people that listen to us in Japan and uh, maybe they'll get a chance to go this summer. We actually give them some uh, plenty of time to, to save up and uh, you can tell us all about it when you get there. 
we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, by the way, on these news articles because we want to get through and talk to Hugh about all the cool stuff. Um, just BT does, yep. but just wanted to let you know. Next, uh, to let you know, this is actually a little bit um, of a discussion starter too, but uh, we're not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, there was a Kickstarter recently uh, for a game called A Place for the Unwilling. Uh, it was a really cool looking game. Uh, they said that they're inspired. It's an it's open world game inspired by Majora's Mask and Sunless Sea, um, which uh, is an interesting combination actually. But the story actually is that they were screwed by Kickstarter payments, and there was a kind of a story in a different way uh, they were screwed. But there was a story before I forget what game it was. Uh, that they thought they had passed it, and then all of a sudden, the last minute, like someone's like five thousand dollars got pulled out. Yeah, and and then they failed it, uh, and they had to start all over again. Well, this time, what happened was it's just something that happened. It apparently, happens like to two or three uh, people on Kickstarter, like you know, every so often. But wow. some. Uh, so it turns out 700 uh, out of the $900, 900 backers had their donations denied, or denied, I can't talk, sorry. Um, they So they were kind of like, I guess there's like a, a seven-day period where they the people that got denied can try again. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know, Kickstarter doesn't but you take wouldn't the really, money. But you wouldn't really know, would you? Well, Kickstarter wouldn't take the money until at the end of the, the campaign, if it passed. Right, right. Um, and then everyone started getting these these rejection notices in their email. Okay. So, so they do get emails Yeah, about Kickstarter email, notices. like, your thing was rejected, blah, blah, blah. You have seven days to, to fix the information or whatever the reason is that it got rejected. Um, and 700 of the 900 backers got denied. That's a lot of people. And, you That's know, a they, lot of people. They didn't, like smash their goal. I mean, they passed, but they didn't smash it. So yeah. it's not like they could just have that buffer either. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Exactly. So, oh, yeah, I'm missing the logos. Thanks, Prep. I'm really bad at my job today. Yeah. So that's Gosh. Bit Summit, by the way. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's the game. Thanks for that. Um, yes. There, there is an update since then to see uh, what's been going on. Um, says right now only 40 of those backers are having issues with the payments. Um, so that's really good considering it used to be 700. Yeah. Um, but still like the fact that that happened at all. Yeah. On a platform that's designed around people giving money to other people. It, the thing is like, too, I mean, they, they, because there's only a couple of people that get affected by this, they yeah. said that Kickstarter, Kickstarter tends to not give a shit because yeah. it happens, you know, and, and they just don't care, uh, when this happens to people because, their Kickstarter, I don't know, they, unless they're like a huge campaign, you know, with millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but well, gonna, yeah. luckily they had a publisher on their side already. Mm-hmm. So they were like really, the publishers were really like working hard to, to make sure that they were up yeah. Kickstarter's and it's good, and that's it. And that's really good. I mean, obviously I feel like a publisher, if a publisher had any money invested into it anyway, that having this not having this problem happen would be a really big deal for them on an investment level, but it's good that they are actually still fighting for it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's good that they've, uh, they're, they already in their new update, they said that they're feeling better about it, but, uh, hopefully that doesn't screw their whole campaign. Cause I mean, Kickstarter campaigns are not easy. If, if, if it was easy, you're not doing it right. So, it, you know, it takes months to, to plan, uh, usually. And, 
for to do it again when you already passed and you just got screwed out of your control yeah it sucks really bit really bad uh but you know what doesn't suck really bad what uh the igf and game developers conference or uh gdc awards uh were happened on what was it wednesday thursday thursday figure what it was but anyway they happened (laughs) and uh they actually uh i didn't click them all there we go what Uh, i forgot the what oh there there it is there it is yeah no i forgot to open up all the the links but anyway Ah. first uh they go in order of independent games festival awards first and then they do gdc which is all games not it's indie games and triple a games um and i first let me say that indie games really swept that whole night and actually I mean, obviously, the indie games all got awards in the Indie Games Festival, but GDC, out of all the AAA games that were involved with that, it, if you consider if you consider Life is Strange to be an indie, which a lot of people do, it's even not. though they're not, <laughs> uh, but if you do consider them to be an indie, and if you consider The Witcher 3 to be indie, because technically, technically? speaking, they are, uh, indies literally won every single award in, in, in GDC. So, first, uh, let me kind of give you... uh, And by the way, IGF Awards were really surprising and very pleasantly so. I'm I'm happy with a lot of their choices. I I was not expecting them. Uh, First of all, Excellence in Narrative, Her Story. Uh, A lot of people did see that one coming, I think. Uh, Excellence in Audio. Excellence in Audio, Mini Metro. Still surprising, but I think it's because I played an early build. But you... Well, yeah, but you have the full build now. I do, but I haven't played it since well, what a douchebag but anyway it's it's just cool because i mean we talked to rev talked to the developers at indicate like two years ago yeah and that's and when we got the winning. early build yeah uh-huh and now they're winning these awards at yeah, that crazy? they were nominated for a lot of stuff too um but that was the one that they won which is crazy because it's such a sniffing. seemingly simple game uh yeah and then excellence in design keep talking and nobody explodes rightfully so that game Didn't, is didn't expect that to win, but that was a really good choice. I I really. Well, what were was... the other What were the other options for that? I don't have the nominees I can't remember. up. <laughs> I don't have the nominees up. You can look yeah. them up if you want. Um, but I want to get through this. Excellence yeah. in visual art was also surprising. Oxenfree, mm-hmm. one. Uh, I meant to to cover that game, but by the time we got through other stuff, it was kind of already like old. Not old, but you yeah. know what I mean. Like we had other stuff to talk about. Um, so I, I'm I'm a little upset we didn't get to cover this game on the show, but uh, it is a really good game, and, and they won the visual art there. Do you remember way back, it was really early episodes, we talked about Girls Make Games? I vaguely remember that. They apparently kind of have blown up since then. Of course, all thanks to us. Yeah, uh, of course. No, but they've got like 32 camps around the world now. Wow. Instead of just in, in California. Uh, and they actually Damn. got the uh, Xbox Rising Star Award, so they had a bunch of girls That's come good. up from the camp, and and the and the founder of uh, Girls Make Games come up there and talk. By the way, I, the whole the host uh, who is a dev of um, from Capybara Games, uh, the host and a lot of the people that came up to accept awards, it was really awkward. <laughs> just no, well, one, I mean, okay. no one was okay. comfortable with public but, but speaking. Here's the, but, but here's the thing, Josh. Not everybody is Hugh. 
yeah and can like handle themselves yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just in, but in, like, in the face of the guy the guy from capybara games who was hosting he was making these jokes and they were just not landing at all it was none of them he even acknowledged he's like what no one laughed at that <laughs> like it was just silence oh, no. well that's because, that's if, because if you excoriate the audience for not laughing then they will but, laugh yeah but but, but let's <laughs> but let's be honest here i don't feel like the, the IGF is, is a place for people with, like, good senses of humor anyway. Like, I just don't – I genuinely don't really? think that – You're talking about real. indie – you're talking about indie Yeah, devs. but, I mean, but we're talking, talking about... like, the, the high up, like, really, like – Like, these are some serious games that these people – that some of these people made. You know, like, I, I don't I don't envision the devs of her story being, like well, – Well, the one dev from funny, her story. Well, I don't, I don't expect you – know, you know what I mean. Right. By the way, he won so many fucking awards last night between IGF and, and GDC. Who? That he he literally he was like, I, I'm running out of like things Space. to say <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so he's like, thanks for this award again. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Nuovo Award, which is like the experimental games category, uh, mm-hmm. Sybil won that. Remember Sybil? Yeah. yeah I know you yeah. don't like that because it weirds you out, but. Ugh. It's uh, a lot of people like it. Best student game was Beglitched, which is like a like a hacker version of Bejeweled, I guess. Um, but it looks cool. Audience looks Award, like this one was expected. Undertale, that was like yep. the people's choice, you know what I mean? Uh, and then the grand prize, Jameson McNally, was her story. So he won the big money there. Um, and then, like I said, they, they not only did IGF, but they swept GDC, if you count those two games as as winner or as indies um hey oh my god yeah i just saw i just saw a great one that i'm really excited for so her story one uh uh i'm trying they got this all laid out weird they got innovation best narrative so best best debut orient the blind forest uh so moon studios um which i know you didn't like that game but uh (laughs) it, it was it's it's a good game, I think. Uh, best audio. This was surprising that they picked this oh, yeah. out of all the people that were in there. But Crypto the Necro Dancer. I was really Josh, excited about that one. Josh, let me tell you why that game won best audio. One, the music's awesome, and it has to be the guy. The, the guy that came up with the music, he like he like took a stab at his dad. He was like, "So my dad said this would only be a hobby." And he like raised <laughs> the award, <laughs> and then he had one of those he had one of those shopkeep plushes. And oh, he, like, yeah? played okay. the song through the microphone. That's kind of so funny. awesome. Yeah. Because, like, okay, the the thing that, and I'm sorry I'm going on about this game, but I really do like this game. It's awesome. Uh, the, the first time I walked near uh, one of the NPCs in-game during a song and they started singing along with the melody, I was just hooked. I was just like, it's perfect. Perfect game. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> They harmonize so well. 10 out of 10. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Innovation Award was her story. Um Best technology was The Witcher 3. Best visual art was Ori and the Blind Forest. Uh, it was a really beautiful game. I know you can't deny that one. I don't like the art, but that's me. I don't like such a fucking hipster. I can't. I can't. That style makes me uncomfortable. It's a personal problem. I, it is a genuinely personal problem. Anyway, uh, best narrative, her story, best design. This one I did not agree with, but whatever uh was rocket league i mean i'm not well, saying well, the design's bad but, just but here's the thing the... so 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 one thing you do have to realize about rocket league is that it has like such a global appeal yeah 
because everybody love everybody in this world loves soccer. There are so many cultures that are just built around soccer. All of a sudden, you make it have cars, which is another subculture, and you make it a video game that everybody can play and make it. Yeah, fun. There you go. but that's Bam. not design. That's just well, appeal. Con- no, but I, I feel I feel like there is. Part, part that, of it that appeal stems is, from the design of the game. Yeah, that's so what I was. Rocket League yeah. is literally the only video game right now that's in the competitive circuit for which you actually have an immediate readability as well as an appeal to people outside of the games market. Yeah. So you can take your dad and show him Rocket League, and he might think it's stupid, but he can very quickly uh, understand, understand okay, yeah. you know, red versus orange, and you've got a ball and a net. Yeah. So, <laughs> I like, guess. and it's because you don't even have like, um, you're not even dealing with with things like offsides or out of bounds, yeah, right. like just, the just go. sort of yeah. So, it's yeah. very simple. I, get, I I see what you're saying, but I mean, it, to me, it was just like out of all the. I don't think I would have picked again. One. I don't have the list of all the nominees, but I remember thinking like out of all the nominees, that one. Eh. But whatever. Um, best it's, handheld. I mean, it's, it's a very reductive design, and I, I yeah. mean that in a good way. Like Simplified, they, right? Yeah. Uh, best handheld game was Her Story, uh, handheld slash mobile, and uh, the audience award slash people's choice thing is Life is Strange, and game of the year went to The Witcher Three. So those are your winners from GDC awards. Yep. So like I said, if you think Life is Strange and uh, The Witcher Three are indie, then they swept all the awards. It was really impressive. Yeah. Um, there was so- only one game that I would consider indie that was even nominated for a game of the year which was Rocket League and there was no way in hell that was winning out of all of those <laughs> games I think they just felt like they needed to throw an indie in there yeah but hey whatever oh well uh, moving on an indie dev is suing Jim Sterling like for real they're actually doing it Digital Homicide is actually suing Jim Sterling for 10 million dollars I can't believe it for those of you who, who aren't familiar, Jim Sterling made uh, a video on uh, Digital Homicide and one of their games that they were releasing that was just utter... It, it was, the game was awful, and he basically laid into it. And then the devs were like... I, I, think, I think someone filed a false DMCA on it, and then the devs were really aggressive, and then now they are suing him for $10 million, <laughs> which is hilarious because they can't win. No, and no I can't believe, way. and they've been threatening, threatening to do this for like a year. Well, they've been working on this lawsuit for like months. They said I can't believe that they're actually doing it. Like, first of all, first of all, <laughs> if you're just going based on like the power between the two, I mean, Jim Sterling is like, like up here, and then yeah. they're down here. Uh-huh. But, but I mean, that shouldn't happen in the court, but it does. But even if they are on the same level, I mean, you're talking like freedom of speech to, you know, to their yeah. to their just being butthurt that they made a yep. shitty game. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we're going to get sued because we said it was a shitty game. But <laughs> I, it's, it's, I just it's laughable. Hugh, what do you think about this? <laughs> if someone if someone ripped apart Brigador, would you take it like a man or would you be like, you know what, fuck this. You ruined my game. million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason they want money from him. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little more inclined to give at least a little bit of slack. I mean, I, I've, I'm familiar with everything that's going on there, um, and yes, it is not 
the most sterling game that's been produced. <laughs> ha ha. Uh, um, but, uh, I mean, there is something to be said for... Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 I sympathize with both sides just because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of people shitting on you. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether it's merited or not, it still sucks. And especially with someone who has the size of the audience that Sterling does, yeah. um, that's that can cast a very long shadow. Um, and uh, from what I understand, they released a second game, or at least were working on one, and Sterling followed up on doing a video on that. And that's something that, like, by that point, I don't know... Um, I think maybe that I think maybe that seems like he's kind of that seems kind of vindictive in that at that point going after the second game. I mean, they, I but, mean, you, he could argue that he was he's just you know doing his his due diligence as a, a journalist, and but I mean, if you're gonna tear apart one game and you know what it did to them and you know what they're capable of, why even bother? You know what I mean? As far as, you know... If, if, well, okay, but but you also have to consider that I don't know if we're dealing with completely rational people here. Wait, which side? They're, they're asking <laughs> for $10 million, Josh. They're well, asking, you know, yeah, $10 million is, is like, I, a little much. It, it's, it's sort of like... And, 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 let's just system. say... Well, let's just say... Let's just say... Let's just say that they had a case... Because they don't, because he's it's freedom of speech. He did not yeah. just say, you know, this is his opinion that he is he is not basing anything on fact. He never said he was basing. It. If he was doing facts, it was just these are the glitches I encountered, or these are the problems I encountered, which are facts in that case, and still not, you know, you know, he's not just saying just shit for the hell of it. Um, but let's just say that they had a case here. The, okay. When you're talking about damages, you're talking about how much your your game. And it's hard to tell, really. But you're talking about how much your game is worth, how much you think you would have sold. And that really comes down to how much the jury or whoever's deciding the the outcome thinks it's worth. There's no way in hell this game is worth $10 million. Well, so so they break it down. Most games, there are like, like, right now, there are maybe, maybe three games that are indie that are worth that much money. And, and yeah. Which three do you think? Uh, it's Stardew Valley, Ark, and uh, uh, The Witness. No, didn't he make like shit tons of money with that? He made game? like five. Well, he's I don't know about ten million, but he he did. You could just say that for the hell of it. But yeah, whatever. that's true. Yeah, but anyway. the point still stands. There's yeah, not they, that many they, games. I'm just like good or not. I'm just I'm just so surprised that. This is like actually happening, and and Hugh brought up. I mean, Hugh does make a good point. It's it's he does have a following that just you know where if you make one bad, it's yeah. kind of like Total Biscuit has the same thing that well, people complain to him about. But where if you talk bad about a game, that really ruins their reputation it, for making games. Yeah, but well, but, but in it, the it sense, depends, it depends on how you handle it, though. And and I don't and I but genuinely I mean, you don't can say things and be an asshole about. It. I mean, Yahtzee does that shit all the time. You know what I mean? Yahtzee Croshaw. Yep. Uh But but he has the right to as long as it's as long as it's either opinion based. Yeah. Which you know because you can't. It, it's all subjective in that case. Mm-hmm. Or or he has if he's making a, a 
if he's saying he's stating a fact, then then he has proof for that. You know what I mean? Right. So these are the things I encountered. If he's yeah. just saying the the way you get sued in Jim Sterling case is if you're like, you know what? I don't like these guys. And, uh, you know, the well, game's but, okay, but, but have, I'm just going to say that these things that, happen like, when they didn't. You know what I mean? Is that what he said? No, but I'm just saying I'm just saying well, that's yeah. the only way you can get sued in this case. Yeah. So. Uh, wow. I don't know. Anyway. And, and Hugh has – I can tell Hugh it, through through his uh, post, and he's very soft-hearted when it comes to the devs. Yeah. As, as <laughs> That is true. Childish is as they true. may be coming off because they they were – being very, uh, they were not handling it well. His yeah. his his criticisms, uh, and th- they may not even be constructive criticism. But he has the right to say what he has to say. Um, you know, I here at IGR at Any Game Riot, we make it a point to constructively criticize and really emphasize the positive aspects of games because we like to yep. support and encourage. But you know, people. Like Jim Sterling, people like Yahtzee Croshaw who who do these negative reviews, that's what they make their money from because people yep. think negative reviews are funny. They think they're entertaining. So I mean, he can do he can do it as long as he's not making shit up. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on real quick. <laughs> but yeah, there's Good. ten million dollars. I can't believe they're doing it. Moving on, uh, humble bundle right now. If you go on uh, until uh, it's in what ten days, so the twenty eighth. I believe the 28th of March uh, until this Humble Bundle is over. And it is the CryEngine Bundle. And it has 20,000 files that uh, are like assets for CryEngine. And like they've got some mocap stuff. Things like plants trees. And shrubs. And, <laughs> and they've got like, uh, you know, animals. And they have some, uh, what am I trying to say? They have assets from Rise Total Rome. Is that what that game was called? Son, Son of Rome. Son of Rome. No, I think that was the second one. They've, they've got a bunch of stuff. Second one. Tons they didn't make stuff. a second one of that shitty ass game. Thirteen bucks. Thirteen bucks for all of that. Yeah, I'm always just tempted to do if it you, just to have it. If you know how to work code Cry. in uh, the CryEngine, then that's that's good for you. Or if Go you want to learn and have a bunch of stuff to learn with, or Bam. that too. Go ahead. True. Yeah, have yes. at it, Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know what else you should have at? Have at this interview. That we're not we're not there yet. We have one more. We thing. aren't. No, no, we're not. No, that's the last thing. Oh no, yeah, right. No, I got confused because I put it. Yeah, how about this interview? Josh, <laughs> trying to throw me off. Uh, I'll throw in real quick on the the cry engine assets. Oh, okay. Um, I think, uh, I mean, anyone who's especially just getting started with games, like I would immediately grab that. So, um, from an engine standpoint, um, a cry engine probably. Is I mean I know for a fact that CryEngine is struggling to try and get more indies in particular uh, to jump on that bandwagon. One of the biggest things is that um, game engines have a kind of momentum to them. Like if you start if you start working in Unity or Unreal uh, or CryEngine um, or some other engines, um, unless you have a terrifically terrible experience, you're going to tend to keep using that engine. Um, so capturing any kind of producers wow on an engine standpoint yeah they're if if that if that studio or if those people have any kind of longevity in the industry um that has very long-term ramifications and that's why 
So, for example, when Unreal 4 went basically free, um, that was directly in response to Unity. There's no way they would have done that uh, if mm -hmm. Unity didn't exist. But no, they had to. does it. Mm -hmm. Well, because well, CryEngine is basically withering on the vine compared yeah. to Unity and, and Unreal. Um, because all of your AAA studios are basically already locked in to an engine. Either they're rolling their own or... Uh, you know, they've been using either Unreal or Unity for several years now. What, and that's not going to change. What AAA studios use Unity? Uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head. But uh, I know, for example, um, uh, Homeworld, uh, the Deserts of Karak, that used Unity. Um, huh. Wow. They're, well, they're like small really, really AAA, powerful. but... It, um, well, if you know how to use it, yeah. It's just, I didn't... I always thought I always saw Unity as a uh, much smaller engine, or, or I should not say a smaller engine, but a an engine used by smaller studios. Whereas CryEngine and Unreal and uh, ha was it Havoc or are they just physics only? Havoc's just physics. Okay, never mind. Uh, but anyway, those those kinds of engines, I thought I always thought those were like the AAA if they weren't making their own. So. It used to be that way, but Unity is increasingly something that's available on, like, like that's competitive on that market. One of and the biggest things is that uh, uh, Unreal Tech is it's excellent if you are making a first-person shooter, um, and if you are making a linear thing. Um, but for doing something like if you have a big sandbox world where you need to be able to stream in assets, um, or from a construction standpoint, if you are having to do uh, large-scale environment updates from an editing standpoint. Um, uh, that's something actually Unreal struggles with and that other engines uh, can handle much better. So depending on the game that you're making, for as good as... Like, like Unreal and CryEngine are both uh, like unparalleled when it comes to like rendering tech. Um, they beat the pants off Unity. Um, but uh, there's a lot of strengths to Unity that those don't have depending upon the types of games you're trying to construct. And the thing is with Unity, um, you know, most, most developers aren't actually able to produce uh, the assets that are modern quality. It's just, it's prohibitively expensive. You're talking months of work for a single 3D model, um, you know, because you like say, you know, you've got a character, you have to model them, skin them, do the UVs, rig, animate, etc. Um, so for anyone who's not operating on that massive scale budget, you're a lot of those uh, super high quality rendering concerns are sort of moot because you're not going to be producing assets that are going to be operating on that level anyway. Well, uh, yeah, it's a good point. CryEngine, keep yeah. on trying. At least you're, at least whether, no matter what your, uh, reasons are uh at least you're giving people an opportunity to learn how to code and uh before we move on actually the interview Pedro in the chat wanted to ask you about uh you um about using assets on games he wants to know what you think about using assets on games like 3d models and things like that i here's the thing i i don't know i'm I don't know what the licensing is on those cryogen assets I, uh they're I, supposed I, to be completely royalty free then absolutely yeah bang bang out a game with that just if you're, especially if you're looking to get into, that's what Bear Simulator did. Yeah, I mean, like, don't well, they don't reinvent so. the wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's probably a bad example. But yeah, um, here's the, here's the thing. Like, it's 
uh, it is so hard to make a game. And there are so many things that you're already dealing with, especially if you're not an artist. Um, absolutely use those assets. I mean, that, that you're, you're knocking out a solid third of production time, if not more. Um, and if you're just starting out, you can end up with something that looks way better than what you might normally have um, because of this kind of jumping off point. Um, we ended up rolling everything ourselves for Brigador. You know, we, we made everything from scratch, and while that's very edifying, it's also the reason why it took us five years to make a game. So if you want to operate on any kind of a uh, shorter timetable, then those sorts of time-saving measures, like, yeah, it's it's... It sucks to not have your own carefully modeled avatar and trees and everything, but really, like, are are people like unless your game is about trees, are people <laughs> really going to be paying attention to, to the, the trees. trees in your game? Um, in your case, just do an urban setting, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it just um, there's there's a lot of considerations there uh, that uh, r- making stuff from scratch can be great but it's also should something that should be considered as a luxury as opposed to a necessity all right well that's a good jumping off point into your interview so thank you for that question pedro uh so yes this is an interview with hugh uh who is from stellar jockeys aka the developers of brigador if you are in the uh indie game news sphere at all you may have seen his <laughs> dev post about uh how much it costs to make games because um, correct me if I'm wrong but people were complaining why you were charging $20 when the game's still in early access correct yes there were some uh, errant comments indicating that the game was not worth the $20 we were asking <laughs> particularly for something that was still in early access right and and it the $20 um, whether you, it, besides the point of like looking at the game without playing it and just saying, is it worth $20? It, it could be, some of the people could be, you know, just saying, oh, well, to me, it's not worth $20. I'm not ready to pay that for this game just because some people aren't going to like your game, right? So, but the people that you were having a problem with are saying that, uh, well, why are you charging $20 for an early access game and you're an indie and uh, you, should, you should be charging cheap because you're an indie and you're not completed yet. And your response was, uh, and we went over this, in the episode that we brought this up in, I forget what episode that was, um, but your response was saying that, well, there's a lot of things, first of all, that cost uh, more than $20, such as the infamous Nickelback poster. Um, <laughs> which I which I now have one. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask if you had one. <laughs> someone someone <laughs> who did not announce themselves happened to dig up my address and mailed me a very nice Nickelback poster, actually. That's fantastic, wow. actually. So, that's a little creepy, but a little creepy. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's still kind of cool. Um, and then the fact that you, you made it over the, the expanse, you said it's five years so far, uh, making the game, and that you're putting your own energy, your own time, your own money into this, um, you know, uh, outside of the what you're making off the early access. Um, it takes a lot to make a game. Yeah. Now, and I mentioned earlier, uh, well, first of all, before we get into that conversation, let me ask you um, to, to explain what Brigador is in your own words. Like, just tell people what the game is about. Sure. 
Brigador is an isometric, real-time mech combat game. It's like a cyberpunk mech western. Um, you're lone gunman in a tank or a mech, or in some cases a power suit. Um, and uh, you're popping around through different parts of a city, blowing a lot of things up. Uh, Battletech? Yeah, I mean, in that like similar we, like aesthetic. We get a lot of we get a lot of uh, callbacks to Mech Commander, for example, yeah. um, which is kind of funny because the game originally was an RTS. Uh, we since changed it to it's it's <coughs> the, probably closest to a twin stick, even though it's much more the controls are much more articulated than that. Uh, the the only games that are even remotely kind of on that level are really old actually uh, uh so one of the ones that gets brought up the most is probably desert strike um or future cop lapd uh which oddly enough were neither were games that we had ever even heard of um <laughs> uh, when I'm we glad started i'm not the only one <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i've never heard of that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um there's also an old nes game called mech warrior 3030 um uh it's a really old one called bedlam uh, so I mean, like, like this is this isn't entirely new territory, but we kind of we came to similar conclusions as other developers um, entirely on our own. It's it's like the whole uh, you know two people inventing calculus on this opposite side of the world at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we um, are the whole the, the the main shtick with the game, I guess, is that the entire environment is destructible. Uh, we That's built really it. Cool, we built our own engine, and we built this thing from the ground up. So that uh, that is that that is a staple of the game. We don't we don't cheese it. It's not like Battlefield Four, where just certain convenient wall segments are destructible, and then everywhere else is is perfectly unscathed by rockets or anything. It's for, like, for like the strategy of it, though, that it's kind of like you said, it's a staple of it. So mm-hmm. so it kind of. Rolls into the strategy of the game where you know you're taking cover, but you know you have to be worried about people shooting through it, or vice versa. You can shoot through. Uh, yeah. So all the environment assets have a, a hit point value and a penetration value. So and there's also uh, you're even though it's an isometric game, you are operating in three space. So you can fire over or under. Well, you can't shoot under things, but you can shoot over things. But you can also undershoot targets. So. Um, uh, for example, we have some of these high walls that are these sort of big metal fences. Um, most projectiles will go straight through them. Um, so it's like that's a case where you know you can engage enemy targets without them being able to physically reach you, and they'll have to path around. Uh, you know, unless you keep shooting through that fence, and you eventually will blow it apart. Um, but also it. it Different equipment or different vehicles have differing abilities to Kool-Aid through the environment. Um, so if you know if you're operating like a big heavy mech, you can just walk up to some of these walls or buildings and just kick your way through. Whereas if you're in a tiny power suit, those are functionally impassable. So and like we have a similar thing with different weapons. Like we've got some heavy artillery weaponry that you can equip that will just comedically shred. Uh, even heavy urban environments, whereas uh, like lasers, for example, most lasers in our game are pretty rubbish against uh, the environment. It's a way to counterbalance the fact that they melt people when you shoot them. <laughs> so you have to be wow. up in your face then 
therefore putting and, yourself and, at and, risk. And so were all of these mechanics planned before you decided to make it real time? Um, so or, was, or is this when, like the direction that things were going after that? When it, okay, so originally it was a top-down RTS. Um, okay. And then we were like, this is rubbish. So we switched over. And this, the, the first, like once we switched to isometric, the original design was actually something more like a lane pusher. Mm-hmm. Um, where you control the single unit, but you also had this like train of mooks where you didn't have direct control over them, but you could specify like a location that they should aggregate uh, at, or you know, like this sort of very vague ability to command. Um, and then we we ended up dumping that for various reasons. Uh, and what, what, so once we'd settled on just like okay, single unit, there's no supplementary controls, no no people assisting you uh, and we started building up the environment pretty quickly we realized that uh okay we wanted this big tall mech and we wanted this real short tank and for interacting with the environment you know if you've got a wall that's taller than the tank but shorter than the mech well okay that's that's one way that things have differentiated a little bit but then on top of that it's always frustrated me that like uh you know if, if we've got these big shanty walls that are basically these really tall walls just made of like corrugated sheet metal um versus these huge concrete reinforced uh you know blast walls uh so different weaponry should interact with those things uh in various ways and so that was so things like the penetration values um and the the urban destruction th- those were really early on um but a lot of the sort of nuance of the game, we didn't we didn't plan out. It was just like because this was something that was we were we we're moving into new territory, so we had mm-hmm. to just sort of feel our way through and see like, oh well, you know, actually you should be able to do these kinds of things, or you know, it just like a lot of it. And one of the reasons why the game took so long is that a lot of it was just sort of muddling through uh, and just seeing what worked and what didn't. You know, it's a case of like throwing a hundred darts at the wall and see what three ones stuck. Okay. Wow. Uh, and Pedro in the chat wanted to ask uh, about the origin of the name. Uh, mm. Is it from Portuguese? Yes. Uh, so ori- the, actually the original title for Brigador was Matador. Um, and that, I chalk that up to my own experience, in inexperience with running a company and just being in the games environment because turns out matador is a fairly common word uh and not exactly the best for things like search engine optimization um or just like being something that people remember uh we released our first trailer in february of 2014 um and we actually got really good coverage on it the problem was that people would be like oh you know what's this matador game they would search matador and then mm. you would just get, uh, you know, like five million hits. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, uh, Matador trailer. And then you would get the Pierce Brosnan movie. So then it'd be like, oh, you'd have to go Matador trailer game. game. But then there was a 2006, like, shitty over-the-shoulder uh, game, also called El Matador. <laughs> um, so you, you, if you would search Matador trailer game, you would get the trailer for that one first. And then you would get our trailer. That's so sort of like, like how like, oh. uh, 
you used to be able to search our website and the first thing that would come up was Riot Games and we're like, no. Yeah. 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 So um, that was, so part of it was that and part of it was just, uh, like, once we found out about the 2006 game, there, there were genuine concerns. Like we, we hadn't gotten a cease and desist or anything, but there were genuine concerns about the, the viability of the name from a legal standpoint. So we, we knew from there, just just from that standpoint, we needed to change it. But on top of that, it just made sense for, like I mentioned, search engine optimization. Um, but also, just because it's such a common word, as far as like stickiness uh, amongst an audience. Because like you've got Matador beef jerky. There's Matador condoms. <laughs> there's like Matador guns. I think you should, all have, you should have. You should have. You should have. You should have kept it Matador, and then just done a bunch of whole a uh, whole bunch of uh, sponsorship in game. Yeah. With some billboards <laughs> of the condoms and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so we we ended up throwing around a bunch of different ideas for the name. Um, like at one point we were toying with Overthrow, uh, Outland, um, some other things. I don't, I don't even remember all of them. Uh, and that's when I came across Brigador, which was originally like our sixth or seventh choice for a name. Um, but I'm really glad we ended up going with it uh, because, A, just like from a meaning standpoint, it actually is really close match for the game. And also because it sounds like it sounds like Matador. It's an easy it's an easy gap to bridge. For it's not a hard it's not a hard word to spell. Trailer. Yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, it's here to be like Brigador. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Actually, I think that was a good choice. Yeah. Um, Brigador sticks. And, and I was going to say that. Um, it, it from your description of the game, it definitely um, matches pretty well. Um, so the other thing that we were going to talk to you about. So here's the the, the meat and potatoes <laughs> of the conversation, probably. Um, was the the prices is what we mentioned. So mm-hmm. you're charging twenty dollars for for the game um, yes. in early access, and people were complaining about it. By the way, let me add, first of all, um, according to Steam Spy, so uh, this give or take maybe off by a thousand or so, but you're currently about, you're, you're just under 2,500, um, owners. So times that by 20, you're making almost 50,000. So good start by the way, for early access, I would say. Thank you. Um, and have you had problems since people were complaining about the price? Are they buying the game and then returning it? Refunding? We've, we've had we've had very few refunds. Really? Okay, um, so they're just not can, buying the game. I can though. count on two hands. Okay. Uh, Are no. these people that have followed you for a while were excited about it and then saw your price and were like, "Well, fuck it then." Is that like who's complaining about this really? Uh, it was it was a guy who was interested in the game. He's just like, "I don't think it's worth twenty bucks." And oh, it was just so one guy. No, no, we, it's it's something that come up multiple times, okay. but it was the most recent one where that broke the... uh, that, that like was the trigger point. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't help that I hadn't slept in two days when it came up, uh, so I was I was inordinately inclined to respond. Normally, I try and just not engage with those kinds of points, but um, I okay. So, I mean, between between the stuff that's going on with uh, like the price debate with Witness with Firewatch, like I mean. This is this is something that's been going around for a while, and especially with all the talk about the indie apocalypse uh, and with bundling, We've talked um, about the, the fact that you can get the fact that you can get you know a huge bundle of games for what's amounts to like 
you know, 20 cents a game. Um, there's a lot of concerns there. Um, but uh, what, it, what it came down to is that just yelling at people doesn't get you anywhere. Um, makes you look like And shit. that I, well, yeah. It'll, it'll feel fishy really quick. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also just that, uh, I mean, I, I, myself, for example, like I'm someone who, uh, like I've, I've been steeped in games culture my entire life. Um, and, you know, pretty much since high school, I've been tinkering with games. Like, I didn't really get into games until post-college. But uh, for as much as... So I, I, I'm like a high-awareness consumer. And even I had absolutely no idea of the kind of magnitude of things involved, both from an effort and from a money standpoint, um, that go into making a game. And so, uh, you know, for for me to not be informed like that before I started becoming a developer, um, then the vast majority, like, like, there are very few people who are purely consumers of video games who are going to have even remotely close of an idea of what's involved there. And that's, that's one of the biggest differences between, like, film and games is that uh, movies, now at least, do a very good job of documenting, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that are involved in making a film. Like, no one, uh, like, snorts at the effort that takes to even make what are ostensibly bad films. Like, like you know, Transformers or Ninja, Tur- Ninja Turtles or something. Like, those aren't great films. But at the same time... People aren't like, you know, this isn't worth a ten dollar uh, movie ticket. Well, I mean, they might say that from a qualitative standpoint, but the no one tends to complain about that. That being the cost of a, like a movie going experience, and especially for the the effects and like the the end result of those things. Um, when whereas for games, I I think there's this idea that because games are this fun and easy thing to make that that's also what it's or it's a fun and easy thing to play that that's also what it's like to make them um <laughs> and so they just, just, you just put down you just all you just have the code just on a sheet and just just show the sheet to them and say yeah. you spend you spend like five years of your life staring at this <laughs> and tell and, me you know you, you know what also is a really good in like thing that that will show what you're talking about uh, I do the the local film fest every year, and it's seventy two hours. The amount of polish that you can put on a movie that you wrote, shot, and edited in seventy two hours is phenomenal. <laughs> you will not find that same polish in a seventy two hour game jam game. I guarantee it. It might be good. It might you know they might blow it out of the water. You will not get. I I genuinely don't think that you you could get the level of like detail that that you could do in seventy two hours in a movie in a game, and that just shows how much more work and time and focus that it takes to like make games. And, uh, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned before that, um, we kind of had like a differentiated opinion about the whole money to, you know, like what a game is worth. Mm-hmm. And, and your, your article really did. Um, cause I mentioned I was on the consumer side of things, mm-hmm. generally speaking, and it did really kind of open my eyes more to what 
goes into making a game and why, you know, maybe that you're charging $20 or maybe why Firewatch is so expensive or The Witness is $40 or most recently, um, what was the, the hell was it? No Man's Sky is going to be $60. Um, so I, I totally understand that. And just kind of bring the opinion of maybe some of the people, uh, just maybe in a less asshole-ish way, <laughs> is that something like like Firewatch, I think, is a good example. Um, it's expensive compared to most indie games. Um, I don't think that... How, how much was that game? Uh, 20. It was, was 20, it 20 bucks? I thought it was 30. Nope, 20. 20. I forget. I bought it. That's but, way too much for that game. But, <laughs> but I will say that um, I will say that that the what looks like went into it. Yeah. I can understand from that point why it would mm-hmm. cost twenty thirty bucks. I, I would say I thought it was thirty to be honest, but I forget what I paid for it. But um, from a consumer Me- standpoint. I kind of expect when I'm the more money and this goes for AAA or indie and that's what I was going to say. Like for some reason when there's an indie label on a game, people expect it to be cheap. Why? It's still a game, just like a AAA game. It's the reason AAA games they think they say you should get away with it is because they are like beautiful 3D unreal yeah, but aren't, textures aren't and games they put like, millions of dollars into ads. I mean that's but whatever. But like, AAA games are like getting really screwed on price now because they can't keep up Well, the, it's the same thing with like you the mentioned the comparison costs. to the movies. I mean same thing. Yeah. It's they they put all this into the game and then but anyway. Yeah. I I don't think that indie or AAA it shouldn't make it that shouldn't no, determine it shouldn't the price no. that in itself. Like No Man's Sky, I think, is definitely worth four, sixty three, bucks. Four, 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 what is it? Fourteen quadrillion planets. Je- yeah, <laughs> Josh. Um, exactly. So, but with no with with Firewatch, um, it's a beautiful game, and I actually did have fun with it. So I'm not gonna. I'm not really. I'm not really complaining about the price, but I think what uh, got me was the length of it, and and from my point of view, I think there's a correlation from what I from what a game costs to amount of gameplay. Then again I, I then would, again would, and this is this is gonna bring up Rev's point and, and I and I do I see the point in this too and it, it's really hard to determine when you start bringing in other factors like the experience that you have playing the game. If it's a fantastic fucking game it should be it should be even if it's short you know, a then, dollar, and and this isn't like. Unfortunately, you can't like quantify this yeah, in a number. It's hard, but it it needs to be. Well, at least I I think what what you're looking for is more of a cost for the amount of fun that I'm getting out of the experience. Right, and it's it's it's, it's just about impossible to quantify, like you said. Exactly. Exactly. So so, and I'm just kind of like voicing, and I'm not trying to argue with Hugh. I'm just kind of voice the other side, whereas Hugh is the you know the on the. Look, I'm, ha- I'm happy to tussle. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I know you, you're over there. Like I'm gonna have, I have so much to no, say. No, right no, now. not at all. <laughs> so uh, it just okay to, to, to bring it around. First off, and, and probably the most common rebuttal to this that we got was just like, you know, you know, <laughs> not cool to guilt someone into buying your game. And I, no I think a lot I of never, people I... didn't um, get it. Yeah. Well, so. I'm not 
I don't mind people buying a game on discount. I understand, like, I was a student at one point, still pretty broke because I put all my money into making this game. Um, like, I, I understand. Uh, and also that from a value standpoint, it's like, okay, I got 20 bucks this month to spend on a game. Uh, you can get, in some cases, like, the AAA games of yesteryear, uh, even just, like, one or two years old, you can get multiple ones for $20. Yeah. So in that case, like, absolutely buy those on discount. Or wait, you know, say Brigador came out two years ago, and then it's like, oh man, I can get Brigador for ten bucks. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Um, I, I I understand and sympathize with limited budgets, uh, or just like, or just trying to get the most out of your uh, expenditure. But um, from a, the thing you have to consider is that. The vast majority of money that a game will make is what it makes when it sells at full price. Mm. It's basically an asymptote. So there's like a huge plateau too when you're talking about like the time relative, like because you mentioned like two years maybe, and then you're buying on discount. But like that first day, the first week, but especially that first day is like when you're making a lot of that that money, right? So a good a kind of easy rule of thumb is that you basically, um, once you hit peak, whatever that is, usually, and it also depends on the news, news cycle, right? Because if, if you're a game that's kind of going viral, then you'll go up and up and up, and then you'll eventually plateau yeah. from a sales standpoint. From YouTube or various articles and stuff like that. G generally speaking, though, you hit... Uh, your your initial launch and then if you have like a second wave of coverage um those those are your only spikes that you're going to get at full price um and then from from whatever those peaks are you basically have a half life uh, so every couple of days the rate at which your game is selling is going to drop by half um which which makes for one of the most depressing things to look at from a developer standpoint. Oh, because, we just we did like just, our, our opening yeah. day um, on early access. It's like, oh man, we're gonna make so much money, <laughs> and then and then wake up the next day and she's like, oh fuck, uh, <laughs> eight bucks. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, we just had someone on the show that that kind of Danny Hayes, yeah, from uh, Poncho. By the way, check out the game. <laughs> yeah, but about, wait, Secret Poncho? No, no uh, it's just Poncho. called Poncho. It's a platformer. It's really that good I game. absolutely love. Absolutely suggest it. It's beautiful. But they had the same. They had a problem where they they what we determined is probably what hurt them the most was coming out in uh, November. November. When everyone's... oh yeah, you're dicked. Yeah. So and and they kind of got screwed on especially that. with Fallout Four. Uh, and then yeah, since well, then see, they haven't gotten covered. They, so. they released it before. Fallout Four was announced, and the, it was like the it was like a week or like a day before, and then immediately afterwards it was like Fallout Four. Still and November, like, November's not a good time to, to release. Games. Everyone's sales plummeted when Fallout Four came out. Yeah, we ours basically flatlined. Um, and like I'm not complaining. I'm just saying like that's that's the reality of of things. Um, but yeah, anyway. So so to to, to finish up what I was saying earlier, right? Um, I don't have a problem with people buying the game on discount. But understand that uh, 
this is the effort that goes into building these things. Yeah. And if at least a modicum of people aren't willing to buy it at full price, which is the value that the people who have made it have decided that like, you know, based on the market and like those tolerances, this, this is what <coughs> this product should be worth. Um, and then like, this is what this product needs to sell for, for us to be able to keep making this. If people aren't willing to engage on that level, then you're just going to stop seeing people trying to build those types of games or games of that scale. So like, I mean, and again, like I personally, um, I like big games. I like big, just labyrinthine, mechanically complex. Uh, like I, I grew up playing um, games like XCOM, uh, and I, like I basically enjoyed the the base management and like financial standpoint yeah. of that more than the combat. Partially because you know I would form this irrevocable bond uh with all of my soldiers and, and then they died traumatic <laughs> i play that the died. same way <laughs> um but like with the original XCOM, you know it was figuring out that like okay my cost per unit for producing a laser cannon versus the sale price if you factor in you know base costs plus engineer monthly outlay it's like okay you can actually make a lot of money by basically becoming a weapons manufacturer in the original XCOM, which has its own kind of brilliant subtext to that, that like you're selling alien corpses on the black market and also selling really powerful, you know, long range weaponry uh, to possibly like third world governments. Uh, it's like, it's cool, man. Um, but uh, anyway, so like those are the types of games that I want to make, but if people aren't going to, pay for that if people are going to buy those which i mean those games e even if i were a wizard like admittedly it took us five years because we run our own engine and because we were inexperienced like knowing what i know now i could probably make that game again in like two to three years um but even even saying that like e even making that assumption it's still tremendously difficult and time intensive to make those kinds of projects and if people aren't willing to pay for that then like we're going to get starved out um if, if if we keep trying to make those kinds of games. So what ends up happening is, all right, you guys aren't willing to pay 20 bucks for a, for a big RPG or for a big complicated combat game. Fine. Um, we're going to make a little $5, like, one-hour Everyone story talks about the race to the bottom, like, where yeah. games are trying to get down to, like, as low as, like, mobile games are. Um, it Kind of playing, kind of playing, like, a devil's advocate. This isn't my opinion, but just devil's advocate from a consumer sure. point of yeah. view. Um Early access game, uh, people uh, talk about how like t maybe twenty dollars isn't worth it because it's not complete, and 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 they they kind of have uh, reason to be a little standoffish because people have gotten burned by early access games before um, several times. So, first of all, are you are you planning on raising the price once it's actually finished? No. Um, and then, okay, so it's going to be $20 all the time. And then, I mean, can you see maybe why people are like, well, I mean, it's there to support you in the development process, but people on the consumer side are kind of like, well, why are you charging full price for something that is not guaranteed right. to be released fully? So for context, one, 
originally the game was available for $15. For the first four months uh, that the game was in early access, you could buy it for $15. Um, we raised it as we got closer to finishing. Um, but also, nowhere do I say that, you know, like, buy it now on early access. Like, we, we say on our website that the... Um, that the price is it's it's not going to get any lower. Um, we we went back and forth on whether we could do twenty five, but just the realities of the market, especially with how much resistance there was on twenty. Even though we probably should, from a production and just like from what went into it standpoint, probably should charge twenty five. But you know, then I'll have to deal with getting skinned alive. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, it's it's almost certainly going to ship at at, at twenty. Um, but uh, nowhere do I say that, like, you know, buy it now on early access. I, I, in fact, encourage people to wait until the game's done. Like, please, put, like, just, just put it on your wish list. Don't, don't buy it on early access because your first experience... I want your first experience with Brigador to be the best experience. Um, and that's going to happen when the game is done. Uh, and so, also, like, from our standpoint, we only want enthusiasts buying the game in early access because those are the kinds of people who are going to be willing to stick around and are the kinds of people who are going to give us feedback. I'm not saying don't buy it or, you know, if you're not an enthusiast to just like fuck off. But, but um, I, I'm totally like, I, I uh, the reason why we did early access was because a, we'd been developing for four and a half years and we were starting to go crazy. Um, and like even just like from a morale standpoint, when you work on something for that long and you're still functionally in a uh, vacuum, uh, it it gets really difficult. Um, but also, like we just we needed feedback on it. And one of the biggest things that happened as a result of early access is that we realized we needed to make a story campaign. Originally, the game like we had all of our sort of headcanon for why these things happen. We had a lot of the stuff written out, but most of it wasn't even going to make it in the game. Because originally this was going to be something more akin to like Nuclear Throne, where it's, okay, we've got some randomized elements. You go in, you blow shit up, and you either win or you die, and then you do it again. And you unlock you know, more complicated or longer runs. We've got some variety there. And there are people who enjoy that, but an overwhelming majority of people who interacted with the game were like, okay, where's the story? Like, love the mechanics, but like, where's, where's the campaign? You, you designed an amazing game that everybody's just like, I want to know more about this world. Yeah. That's what you did. That's what you. It's kind of. You a, it's kind every... of a good problem in that case. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it it sucks that it basically tacked on another four months of development. But you know, I I'm happy to do that. And like, it was something that we had kind of wanted to do. But we we had actually had it the other way around. We thought that people weren't really going to care about the campaign. <laughs> wanted the the kind of Binding of Isaac long form, full repetition, procedural game. When in fact the majority of the demand seems to be for a single player campaign, with that repetition side of things being the uh, uh, being the secondary component. Okay. Yeah, that's so, I'm, that's how I look at it. That's how I like looking and, at games. And, you know, and I mentioned earlier about how the way I see price to game is kind of like like tech says the price in ratio to the amount of fun, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be gameplay, replayability, or just the experience itself. I can't really say that about Brigador because I haven't played it yet. Um, but, you know, like, so I, I have to bring it back to something like No Man's Sky where it's basically infinite. <laughs> so $60 to me is like, yeah. Yeah, but what if it's not fun? Uh, 
But well, if it's not fun, in that case, no. But uh, you can't. Like, but see, that's the important to, part. Yeah, it's like you fun, can charge. Fun is probably the charge, most important. You can charge a but, dollar for a game that's okay. But bring it back then, to. Did you did you play? Uh, this is gonna be a triple A game. But did you play? Okay. Um, the fuck was it? Bethesda's. Uh, uh four. No, the 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 stabby stealth one. What the hell? Uh, assassin. No, no, that's uh, not. The that's fuck? Ubisoft. What is it? Bethesda stabby stealth. <laughs> Um, it's someone help me here. Is this Skyrim of like any of those Elder Scrolls games? What? No, it was wh- the... when, when? When was this? When was it released? Two thousand ten. Okay, this is an sure? old one. Two thousand twelve. <laughs> what am I? What are you talking about? What the fuck? Hold on, now I gotta find out. The Bethesda. They, they publish re- or it's a game? They released. They, they released. They're making a freaking. Uh, they're making a freaking sequel. This year? Oh no 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 no! You're are, are you talking about um, uh, Dishonored? Yeah, God, thank you, Dishonored. Ah! Dishonored oh. is what I was trying to say. Wow, that was hard. Yeah, that um, was arcane. Oh yeah. man! Do you, do you, can I can I uh, can, can I tell you? A, a story about well, that? well, let me oh, well, a... let me let me finish what I was going to say before. Okay. Because so, Dishonored. You played Dishonored, right? Yep. Okay. So and you played Dishonored too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Dishonored, fantastic game, loved uh-huh. it. Way okay. too short for my taste. Uh, Maybe I didn't play it right, but I'll I, be honest I with you, I'm really glad that. that I didn't pay for it. I blew I through that. I didn't even beat it. I just and played for through a, bu- a bit of it, and I was like, oh, okay, I thought I sixty dollars was way too much. So there's a mixture of, you know, I I, I feel like. There should have been more, and it's hard again. And in a AAA standpoint, they put a lot more in as far as like money goes because they have to pay a lot more people, advertising, whatever. But as a consumer, you know, my first thought, just just as a consumer, my first thought is to protect my wallet and to get the best for my for my dollar. You know what I mean? Now, as a, as as someone who is part of the indie game community, because we're a press. My my thought in that case is to always support the developer, no matter the cost, if it's a good game. So, which is mm-hmm. why I wasn't upset about Firewatch being so short. But strictly being a consumer, I, I I feel like there needs to be some sort of ratio there with with the amount of of fun I'm having. So so okay. So a couple things um, to specifically speak to. Dishonored. Um, that's a game where, uh, yes, the explicit like single player campaign isn't super long, but with the breadth with which they allow you to engage in that game, you can play that exact same campaign. Both like there's both how you play it as well as the decisions you make in that game. Uh. And between those components, you're you can functionally quadruple the length of the game. Now, not everyone was going to want to do that, especially yeah, like, because I was the, say, the level d- design was not. It w- now we're having a discussion about. I wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> conducive to me to pull it to to play it multiple right. times. But but and that's the thing. Like, like that that's entirely contingent on the gamer. Uh, yeah. Like who? Like what? Are are you someone who just like wants to just consume content? Like get through it. It's this, and then, well, for like, me, yeah. it was it was story. So I've like. I've already been through the yeah, story. And, There's nothing new here, you know. Yeah. So, so then for you, I, that's a legitimate like. You know, that's what I a think people issue. were hoping for. I feel like people were hoping for Half Life. 
a little bit. You know, you know how Half Life feels. How it's like, how it's like, it's very like expansive, and there's a lot of like stuff, and you're interacting with like no. a lot of cool different mechanics. It was very linear. Kinda. <laughs> it was very it linear. Was lin- but it didn't feel linear. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty linear. It was on rails. It was not on. It was not that bad. It was on rails with the like, occasional. Do you not like Half Life? No, I like Half Life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with rails, but you. Well, but like you know, people, I feel like I this feel is like, a bad example. Maybe no. Maybe I was looking for like the the next sort of Half Life experience, Very strange. which was like a, a more like paced story. Well, anyway, that but that's not, besides anyway. the point. We're talking about price yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That does come into to, to, to price because like <laughs> and and advertising and looking at okay, people now. You watch a few seconds of a video and you look at some pictures and you decide whether or not you want to buy that game or not. I go through my queue on Steam all the time. I don't even look at the prices. I just look at the first picture and just just see whether I like it or not. And then I look at the price and then that determines. Well, like I feel like I feel like consumers and people who are playing games. But that's not now, a good thing to do. Just to point that out. That's. Just I mean, for, I know a lot of people do that. For me. I know a lot of people do that, but I mean, <laughs> like we just uh, had reviewed a game called Callie's Caves. Yeah, on our on our website, and if I were to look at that game strictly by picture first, I would have been like skip, skip, skip. Um, but it's pretty damn addicting. That's true. All right, we gotta. We're taking a really long time yeah. on this. But, we need to well, ask Hugh, the important question. Hugh, Hugh, let Hugh finish what he was gonna say, and then oh, I'm gonna right. ask the last uh, couple questions. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I mean, to specifically address the whole dishonored thing, um, with that, I, I think that's uh. That's incumbent on the reviewers to articulate those kinds of things. Reviewers slash like YouTubers, like people who are consuming this media and then digesting it for uh, people to decide on whether they want to purchase it or not. Because that, like, if you're a story gamer, then yeah, that's probably a pretty short game, and you should wait until it comes out on discount or something. As as far as like your value proposition goes, whereas if you're someone who's very mechanically oriented, Dishonored even at full price is an extraordinary bang for your buck. Um, and so, and and that's hard because like the same game for two different people, for one person it could be five hours, and for another person it could be a hundred hours. Like for me personally, like Binding of Isaac, I enjoyed playing it, um, but I. Hey, I have maybe like 10 hours in it and it's like I probably could have done with half of that amount and it's like I think it's <coughs> an extraordinary game but to me like that's it's just not it's not it's not my cup of tea yeah um but you have guys who have thousands of yeah. hours in that game people YouTubers um, have hundreds of videos of that yeah and, and and that's that's one of the reasons why it's it's such an extraordinarily successful product um like for us with Brigador, that was it, w- it was a curious situation because we we didn't want to do procedural generation on the levels. Um, partly because there's a whole slew of problems with how granular our environments were that it would either require an extraordinary amount of effort to make procedural environments that had any degree of authenticity to them, or they would be procedural but they would just look like garbage. Um, and and also just like we're my brother and I are very much products of just sort of early Doom generation where like you know you one of the coolest things about playing the original Doom is that you can tell 
that there are different hands at work creating these different levels. Like a Romero level has it's it's a distinct component. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, um so for break it order, like all of our levels are hand authored, but we do have randomized components to it, so I could it changes what faction you're facing and the composition of those units. Um so you can have the exact same run that you're doing and you'll experience it differently because you'll start at a different stage. You start at a different point on the same stage. You'll be facing a different faction, and you know, like there's other components to that. Um, but then on top of that, we're also doing the story campaign where it's entirely fixed. Like if you pick the same loadout, then you are always going to have the same experience, at least going into it. Um, but I, I mean, we've we've got guys who I mean, the game's not even out yet, and we've got guys who have over 100 hours in Brigador. So wow. As far as like value proposition goes, I, I mean, I think we have guys who can vouch for that. Yeah. Now, if you're a story gamer, um, well, what we can offer is like a five-ish hour campaign. Well, the story, uh, the story it's... thing too, I think depends on the game. Like something where it's dishonor, where it's heavily entrenched in story. Uh, you know, that's why that was kind of if to me. Mm-hmm. But something like you mentioned X- XCOM earlier, XCOM has a story to it, but it's not really centralized. You know what I mean? It's just it's. Mm-hmm focusing on the strategy and and all that sort of stuff so strategy and management so in that case i would be willing to replay it many times so brigador is kind of like that where it's got a story but it's really focusing on the mechanics of the game that you know where you want to keep playing it over and over and see how different ways you can do it that in that case where it's not focused on the story necessarily i think i'd be willing to replay it Mm. So, I mean, for, like for us, we have story coming through two different vectors. One is the actual just campaign itself, uh, and then, which is which is right now we're ballparking it around twenty missions. Um, and then, on top of that, you have uh, we're going to have unlocks for vehicles, weapons, and also what we're calling intel right now, which is basically stuff that doesn't have it's not a playable component, but it's useful information to the player, like enemy stats. Um, and like hints for how to face them and stuff but every intel unlock is also going to have like B story so every every piece that you unlock you're going to get like hey this is the you know the Toro heavy mech used by the loyalist faction here's when it was produced here's the history of it blah 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 and then the second paragraph is going to be something around the context of what's going on right now in the city and so once you combine, and then it's it's not you it's know, not like pieces of a linear story. You know what that kind of reminds me of? Filling in the gaps. Sure. Uh, Dynasty Warriors and how they kind of present their story ish, um, where it's kind of a bunch of different factions, and you get these snippets of of story. In Dynasty Warriors' case, they have little cutscenes, but um, you know where you have different weapons that or different uh, legendary warriors or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's been a long time since I played it, but is that kind of hitting anywhere near that? Uh, I mean, the the story missions are going to have stuff that's going to be coming across in game, um, but for everything else, it's just like as you like each of these components, like in the process of learning more about the game and on and providing new options for yourself 
in playing the game, um, you're going to be getting more and more of these nuggets. Uh, I I would say, I mean, it's uh, I'm loath to use this as a comparison, but the way that Dark Souls handles storytelling, where it's indirect, right. like you are never explicitly told this is the plot. Here's who did what to whom. Here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. Like there, there's a, a great myriad of different interpretations for that story. Um, and even like when you get to the very end, it's actually relatively opaque as to who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Right. Um, or if there's even that that much of a distinction. Um, and that's, that's something we're shooting for with Brigador is that, I mean, like, this is a game about collateral damage. Like, we, we built this game from the ground up to be about just massive urban destruction. So there, you're not, there are no good guys in this because even the good guys are causing, like, horrific <laughs> uh, collateral damage uh, to the city. Right. Um, and for a significant portion of the game, you are going to be playing as explicitly bad people, or at least people who are under extenuating circumstances and are, are choosing to act in their own interests. Um, so like, like we didn't want to be preachy about it. This isn't some, some like feel story about like, Oh, the orphans and the children. But, (laughs) but at the same time, it's like, we, we want to have those components in there for people who want to engage with it. Like, I, I mean, I, I will write lore until, you know, I wear out my fingers. But that's not something that a lot of people are going to be interested in. And we don't want to put that stuff in people's face. So, like, we for people who are interested, it's there, and it's going to be there in spades. But it's it's not going to be a very explicit linear story, and it's not going to be... Um, completely overt uh, for that. Now, what we are doing is um, we just finished a final draft of a book uh, that will be finished and shipping with the game. Hmm. So we've got that part. Um, So if you do want a linear story with clear characters and arc, it's a 200-page... Can you get that uh, through Steam? We will we'll be attaching it as part of an addition to the game. Um, okay, so it's like a like a like a digital book then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, I'm I'm once once I have a little bit of time, we're actually going to try and shop it around and see if anyone's interested in in ponying up for doing a print run of it. Um, but um, we did like we we we've done a lot of work on this end. Um, from actually pretty soon, what we're going to do is we're going to change it so that um. There's the current $20 edition of the game, which is just a standard game. And then we're going to have a premium edition, which is going to include the two-hour soundtrack, the book, and some other wow. stuff. That's um, value. Yes. Yeah. That is so a lot of value. We got a lot of stuff. And, like, this is it's all original music by Makeup at Vanity Set, who just knocked it out of the park. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've been working on a lot, a lot of stuff. And then to go back to, like, the whole time for money thing we're also going to be releasing the map editing tools um and it's really easy to make custom maps for the game so you're doing, um, like, it's gonna workshop stuff we we want to do that the problem is that that stuff's really hard to do well um and so there's no way we're going to have steam steam workshop integration for launch but 
if the game's selling even remotely well. Like if it's if it's doing well enough for us to continue supporting it, that's our number one priority is like getting in uh, workshop integration so that people can build their custom maps and share them. Um, because like we we got to the point where we could make a ship quality level in about two days. So wow. yeah, like it's it's pretty it's it it feels like playing SimCity. Um, <laughs> even to the That's point of like awesome. placing these tiny little, yeah, like tiny little roadways and things. Um, so we're, I mean, really excited. We're, we're actually going to release, if all goes well, we're going to release the editor prior to the game actually oh, doing shit. full ship. Um, and we're, what we'd like to do is do like a little contest so that, you know, people who come up with the best map designs will put some of those in the game that's, and we'll, you know, great to work with the community something. around the game. Yeah. Really, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and like, wait, the other thing we're going to do is, um, all of our editing tools for the game are actually in the game. Um, you hit F1, and then you can live edit. The vast majority of the data in the game can be live edited. So, for example, like when I'm balancing vehicles and weapons, I can on the spot change my acceleration and top speed for the mech I'm driving, and change the rate of fire of the cannon. And it's and it's it's already it's there, and I can save that data or you know discard it and shift around so like we've got we've already got a couple guys uh one of the guys who has over 100 hours um we've already got several guys who are without any instruction from us uh picking apart how those systems work and making their own guns and like that's very cool yeah so anyway that all that's that's all i have to say on that part well (laughs) i'm sure we could talk about all that sort of stuff not only brigador but also the the cost of the thing for yeah, the whole night. But right. you are um, you are the official guy of he did the math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. couple a couple other things. First of sure. all, um, we ask this to everyone that comes on the show about the indie game community. Just the whether it be as a dev, a gamer, or you know, in the indie game community at all, what is your favorite moment? What is what is your most memorable? Just moment? just in indie games. The the whole community indie games. You know, at a convention or through fans of your game, through developing anything like that, put you on the spot. Uh showing up, people who complain about twenty dollars. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, I think, actually, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that really came to mind, and the more I think about it, this is hands down. Um, so Jamie Griesemer was the lead. Uh, he's he's currently doing a, a VR game with Marty O'Donnell. Um, Jamie Griesemer is formerly of Bungie. Um, the 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 thirty seconds of fun talk was him, um, and he later went on to work at Sucker Punch, uh, and he's now so he's now independent. But anyway, uh, the first GDC I ever attended. Um, I had just started out. I had nothing to show. Uh, I was I was literally like idiot wandering in the middle of the forest, just being like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and I actually, uh, I actually had a really bad experience at my first GDC. Um, part of it was just I, you know, new guy on the new scene. I I didn't know anybody, and I didn't. It was before I had really started using Twitter. So like that Twitter is like the 
um, for people who don't know, Twitter is like the way that devs meet and talk to each other. Like when I That's find out about a new game, same way I with us. Guy, <laughs> yeah, I find that guy on Twitter, and I'm like, dude. This game you're working on is like hella tight. I don't actually use those words because I don't. That's not how I talk. But if it's not at a um, convention. Twitter is like the, the hub. For... Yeah. Um. But anyway, so it was it was before I had learned that lesson. So I like I was completely alone, um, and just no one because I didn't have any demo to show. There was like no one knew who we were. Uh, I just. No, like no one wanted to talk to me. I I was I I had like I was going to all these cool talks, and I asked some questions at a couple of a couple of them, but um, just I was getting really dejected and like I was on the verge of just saying fuck it and leaving the games industry because I at that point we had already been working together for about a year. Uh, we were almost entirely just focused on building infrastructure. So like we'd gotten our servers set up. And we were building the engine, um, but we had nothing to show for it, and you know, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but anyway, so the last day of GDC, last day that there were talks going on and things, um, it was like things had really started to come to a head. Um, and the last talk I went to was by Jamie Griesmer talking about game design, uh, and I knew who he was. I had watched some of his older talks that were archived uh, from the GDC vault. Um, I've admired him for a long time. Like he, he gave a talk about making a very small adjustment to the cycle time on the sniper rifle in Halo, and it was brilliant. Um, and so I went to a talk of his. It was, it was just as brilliant as the other ones that I had seen. I asked a question afterwards, and he was basically just like, you know, uh, I'm working on that, on figuring out that problem right now. You know, just chat with me later. Um, I was like, okay, you know, that's that was that was really edifying. Well, later that night, I just happened to see him at a bar, and I, and it was like, I, I very nearly just didn't talk to him. I was this kind of like super nervous, like you know, notice me, senpai, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and then my my brother actually was there, my brother and a friend of his, and there's like, dude, go talk to the pretty girl. Come on, just you know, nut up. So I, I ended up, I went over and I just started chatting with him just, just to be like, hey, appreciated the talk. Um, you know, you're a cool dude. Uh, but he immediately just like invited me to sit down um, and just started picking my brain and asked me how things were going. And and I just kind of, I, for better or worse, I just took that as an invitation to just like lay everything out. And I was just like, man, GDC is the worst. Like I'm super frustrated with all this stuff. Like trying to be an indie but everything sucks blah 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 and like for like an hour was just going um and while this is going on all these other guys start showing up at this table and i like i kind of i feel like i've seen them before but you know nothing's nothing's ringing a bell at the time uh and jamie's just being a super cool dude and chatting with me about stuff and he he just gave me this real like really practical advice and it's like yeah you know that's that's you know, growing pains and um, kind of worked me through all of these things and offered, like he gave me his card and offered to, you know, correspond by email. Uh, just, you know, basically it was just like a cool shoulder um, and like a, for a brief moment was a mentor um, and pretty much single-handedly salvaged my 
what will hopefully be a long career in video games. Um, and while all this is going on, he finally introduces me to all the other guys at the table, and it's all like really big deals. Like Marty O'Donnell, the composer of the Halo games, was there. Oh, wow. Russell Brower, who is the lead sound designer at Blizzard, was there. Wow. Chris Zimmerman, who is the co-founder of Sucker Punch, was also there. Um, so I'm at this table, this no-name asshole, with four of like the most important dudes in video games, and they're humoring me and buying me a drink and just being like, yeah, that, that really sucks. Uh, I feel you, man. Uh, <laughs> and they basically like restored my faith both in the games industry and wow. in sort of humanity as a whole. So that's like... That that to date has been the high water mark for me as far as just being in the games industry because you know it'd be like you know being an aspiring filmmaker and then seeing Steven Spielberg at a bar and he buys you a drink and says like tell me about your problems. That's really wow. cool. That's so crazy. I wish, man. Yet another reason, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, why this is the best community on the planet. So yeah, seriously. Uh, last thing is. Uh, if there's anything that we didn't mention or, you know, like your the Twitter or website or anything like that that you want to let people know about, uh, go ahead and uh, shout that stuff out. Yeah. So um, if you're interested in Brigador, uh, it is $20 on early access. Uh, you can find us. If, if you want to if you want to give us all the money, you can buy it directly from StellarJockeys.com. Um, we have a humble widget, which gives us 95% of the cut as opposed to a much smaller cut based on different storefronts. Uh, but you still get a Steam key, and you get access to a DRM-free download from Humble as well. Um, if you like the music, you can Google search Makeup and Vanity Set. Uh, that guy is a tremendous musician, and he's got several albums already out that are all fantastic. Um, and we have a sampling of the Brigador soundtrack that's currently available. Just Google search Makeup and Vanity Set Brigador soundtrack, and it'll pop up on Bandcamp. Um game's going to release sometime like end of second quarter uh so a couple months now uh we're we're in the we're in the final 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 crunch um and uh yeah tell your tell your friends it's a cool game we've got a lot of cool stuff uh it's you know work out your frustrations by destroying an entire <laughs> city uh and listen to a bitch and soundtrack while you're at it awesome well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and thank you for humoring us with the discussion about the, yeah. the prices and all that stuff. It's just good to know, you know, the other side of the the story from from a consumer standpoint. And uh, really, looks like a great game. The physics are what drew me in, to be honest, when I first saw those, and then uh, just hearing you talk about it makes me even more pumped to play it. So I hope yeah. I'll be able to buy it sometime soon. It looks great. Yes, thank you. Go buy it. Doing all the art, like I- I'm looking at it, and just like, damn, yeah. And it, it is it is sprite based. Wow, so we used so we're doing some old school wizardry on it, that. It, lo- it, it has that tell. like old school feel to it, but it doesn't look old. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you for that, and uh, go buy Brigador. Do it Definitely. now. And uh, while you're doing that, we're going to go ahead and start a riot. Huh? And this week on Starting the Riot from the makers of Risk of Rain, we have a new game called Deadbolt. It is a 2D side-scrolling shooter, except it's more 
uh, linear, I guess. It's 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 a mission based game. You have missions yeah. and you obtain weapons and not, you not linear in the sense that like it's on rails, but it's no, it's got there's like, a story. Yeah, missions. Yeah, like you said. yeah, missions. Yeah, but basically. you can you can finish the missions in multiple ways. Yeah, and you're basically the Grim Reaper. You are, the Grim. and you're awesome. And if you look at this game and you think, hmm, maybe this will make me feel like I'm in an action movie. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> It feels like an action movie, Josh. It, it kind of has the same feel that um, there, Gunpoint does to me. It also sort of, you know, I, I got a, I sort of, I, I felt not a hero yeah. as well. Because, the cover because base like, kinda, yeah, the, kinda... the cover-based shooting plus with, like, the, all, it's not as mobile, but it, it you have, like, the, the, the different vents that you can go into and the different paths through the map right. that... Yeah, it's it's very like gunpoint yeah. and and not oh, a hero. So, By the way, so Hopu Games, same developers of Risk of Rain. Yes, which is what I opened with. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. Why well, was the makers of Risk of Rain? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, Risk of Rain, which like the the game kind of does look. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's different. I mean, it's you can tell it's kind of more real. It's, it's a similar style, but Risk of Rain was so so much more abstract, twitchy, uh, yeah, and and hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know how hard this game gets, but I don't think it's as like hardcore as Risk of Rain was. But that's kind of good. Well, it, it appeals to more people. This this game, Excuse you know what me. this game kind of reminds me of too, in, in like a weird way. Um, Trilby, the Art of Theft, which is uh, Yat uh, Yahtzee Croshaw's uh, one of his games uh-huh. that he made a long time ago. And it's just like the 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 way that the the levels are laid out and how you have very precise ways to do many different things to get to your objective. And it's just like, yeah, this game's cool. This game's really really cool. It also has sort of like a film noir feel a little bit. Would you agree with me on that? Or um, no? Am I just crazy? I don't know if I maybe really maybe it's maybe maybe it's more like the really dark action thriller. I would say yeah, it's not quite noir, yeah. but but there's there's a little bit of mystery to it too because you're kind of getting these weird um, instructions from just this random dude at a fireplace. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's probably just because it's a Grim Reaper thing. It almost gives you a Grim Fandango kind of feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the humor of it, but just in that weird like. There's this this entity above you that's like telling you what to do. Um, that's a, I mean, it's kind of a stretch to be comparing the two games, but that's just kind of why. Yeah, that kind of comes off. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like we're we're mentioning a whole lot of different games, but really, like it's it's pretty unique in that way. Yeah, it combine it combines different ga- aspects of different games uh, into its own thing. Y- y- this this reminded me of. Uh, remember the Madness games? I, obviously, you do. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this reminded me a little bit of the Madness games, where it's just like senseless, like gratuitous, <laughs> fast-paced violence. Well, I don't, well, Madness was a little bit more chaotic, and this this yeah, is a little, more methodical, I think. And there's yeah, because there's actually a little bit of strategy to this, where you can actually, I mean, you don't just go in like like not a hero. I meant like the uh, the visceral nature of it. Right. Okay. It, it's very. Uh, uh, 
I don't know. It, it's it's like adrenaline pumping. You're right. like, yes, I am this awesome. <laughs> like, this is this is what a movie. What's so weird is that this game feels more like a movie than those movie games do to me. <laughs> I uh, feel like I'm watching like a movie, like I'm part of the movie. Right. In, in more in this than I did with with like movie movie games. I don't know what it is. I think it's the I think it's the gameplay. The uh I mean and we we compared it to Gunpoint and Not a Hero. They're uh more fast paced. I think this this seems a little bit more methodical in the sense that you can actually go and well, actually no, not as not as methodical as Gunpoint. Uh Gunpoint's pretty methodical. But Not a Hero is like you fly through and you're just yeah. killing people uh-huh. and you're just blah blah blah. Yeah. This it's a is, little bit more thought out. You're you're like one of the mechanics is you can actually distract people to like uh, the the undead is what you're trying to to kill uh, because right. you know you're the Grim Reaper they should be dead, yeah. Um, so you distract them to like there, there's a scene where you can distract them like to go up the stairs and then you, you climb down a vent and go down to the bottom so you can uh, complete some sort of objective down there. So uh, it's a little bit more methodical than not a hero, but not as methodical as Gunpoint. It's kind of it's it's a happy medium between the two games. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say definitely. Um, but either way, this seems like a ton of fun, and Hopu has a really good uh, uh, reputation with games, especially if you're hardcore into uh, ga- like difficult games and things like that. Again, not, I don't think it's as difficult, but um, it's Hopu, so you know. Yeah, exactly. Expect, expect there to be a challenge. Uh, how much is it right now on? It's nine ninety nine on Humble. On Humble, and as yep. as it is on Steam, and uh, you can also is it for Windows Mac and Linux? Um, Windows only. Windows only. Well, that sucks. Hopu, what the fuck? I'm just kidding. No one cares <laughs> about Mac uh, or Linux for that matter, except for Rev, I think. Yeah, only I Rev. I don't know why <laughs> you play Rev. games. I don't know why anyone plays games on those, unless you're prep. In that case, it's like your only option. Yeah, but really, definitely check it out. Uh, great price for a fun little game by devs that you can trust. So, yep. Yeah. There Deadbolt. You go. Well, you know what else you can trust? You can trust uh, us to give you some pretty good games that aren't out yet. I was just going to well, say you could trust some titties. Peep show. Please give all your attention to early access. <laughs> This week on Peep Show, we have a uh, game that's kind of a. I'm trying to decide what you would call it. It's very sim. It's a city builder sim kind of. But it's uh, also got like city management yeah, type of thing management where mm-hmm. it's like a, an urban planning simulator kind uh, of basically called Block Hood, um, Block Apostrophe Hood. If that, uh, I'm not really sure why it's with the po- apostrophe, but hey, Block Hood. By Plethora Project, and uh, it's really cool that y- you kind of start off with um, just this little piece of land, and uh, you build upwards, generally speaking. And it's it seems like the 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 feeling I get from it is how like you kind of think in the future, right? Where uh, there's not a whole lot of land left, you know, overpopulation, yeah. and at the same time you're worried about pollution. It kind of gives me this feeling that maybe this is in the future uh, where, you know, you're yeah. they figured out a way to make make everything efficient yep. and not as dirty. 
So yeah. you can kind of tell from the picture there. I mean, not in the gameplay right now because it's kind of at the beginning. But if you go to their website, um, it, it's it's very focused on like renewable energy and like right. being clean and yeah. And the whole point of it is to be able to uh, create your neighborhood where you, uh, you have an, an abundance of beauty in life. Uh, you're avoiding the decay of what happens a lot of times in, in urban settings. Uh, and you're kind of co-existing is what it says on the website uh, with nature and the people around you. Um, the the challenge comes in planning all that out. So you start out with this little block and you have to build up with these different options that you have <coughs> to build uh, where you have to plan out apartments. There's parks. There's just uh, trees like beautification projects and and. It looks really cool too, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, with all the signage and the lights and yeah. just the the colors. You know, that pop you know out. what's so you know what's so crazy is that like this this game, and, and I really hate to say it, like I think the art is awesome, but I feel like because it's so restricted, it's triggering that same sort of like anxiety in my brain that Ori right. in the Blind Forest did for like different reasons because it feels like it doesn't feel claustrophobic but i i put myself in a situation of somebody living in that and i'm just like i'm living on like 10 blocks of space this is <laughs> hell <Yeah>. like <laughs> that's why i know that's that's I see, just me i see people over in like uh like china and japan like where they're like literally living on top of each other in these tiny little squares and yeah. it's kind of what this reminds me of but uh except more beautified <laughs> Um, again, on their website, they they talk about how uh, this isn't early access, by the way. Uh, obviously, since it's on Peep Show, uh, they currently have ninety six different blocks that you can place, um, but they're constantly adding more as you know early access goes on, development and all that sort of stuff. So there's tons of ways and things to build, uh, plan out, and all that sort of stuff. Again, there's pictures on their website you can see. And it's not just up that you can build, although that seems like the most efficient way. They have pictures where they, that you can build. Uh, sideways where it's just kind of still efficient but more spread out right um each block is each block that you create has inputs and outputs so you can generate uh resources so they give an example a tree needs water so you're you're using up your water but it creates oxygen therefore it makes the air nice and healthy um a shop you need consumers to create money for your neighborhood, you know, an economy. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to strategize how you have to understand how each of the blocks work and what they take and what they give uh, in order to make it all work in harmony. This is like a hippie urban planner's dream. Yeah, exactly. And you, if you're, <laughs> if you're bad, your neighborhood will decay. Uh, so if you don't get the inputs, if they don't get the inputs that they need, they'll start to decay over time. Uh, looking like an abandoned city start to become destroyed but that's like totally what happens in real life yeah this and so bad urban planning leads to shitty like like on the surface someone might look at this and be like oh it's just a hippy dippy building game and then you realize that there's like a lot of management and a lot of like balance that you have to find in it and i feel like that's a lot of the charm that comes with it is is the the focus on balance Uh. especially because you're building up you know, sim- symbolically balanced, uh, yeah. as well as literally balanced. But Feng shui. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but it looks neat. 
They've they have some really cool modes, by the way. They have sandbox mode and challenge mode. So challenge, I'm, I'm assuming, is more like a scenario. They also allow this game to be used for education, ah. uh, which is actually not surprising after you learn what it's about and research uh, when it comes to uh, you know urban planning and, and efficiency and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. And it says they're actually uh, it's it's been developed in, in an academic environment, so it's probably started off as a student game. Yeah, I thought this looked really clean and school-like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's what something Rev would probably say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're they're going to add it, they're adding in modding support and uh, custom apps as well to be, yeah. to be along with that. So, uh, this cool, this is a really cool idea. And, Nine ninety nine uh, on Steam. If you want to try, uh, if you want to try your hand at urban planning, go buy Blockhood. It is by. Uh, it's published by Devolver. Yeah, Devolver picked it up. Uh, hey, I forgot about that. Wow, good, good call. This does kind of look is, like a Devolver. I, game. Actually, I don't think so. Oh, this I do. Is, I, I look at. Is... I look at some of the close-up art. I'm like, yeah, those look like Devolver. Like, I don't know. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's just the style of game. It, it, that's true. The style of game is not Devolver. I'm, it's kind of surprising, actually. Well, you know what's not surprising. What What's not surprising is the amount of money that you're going to be spending on the game that we're going to tell you about next, which is free because it's free fun. So, you know when they say that your dog loves you, but it's not in love with you? Today on Free Fun, you can change that with Hot Date. Uh, <laughs> it's a pug dating simulator. Date your pug. I think it's, pug. I think it's funny just because... <laughs> I, think, I think it's hilarious. The pug is... The pug is uh, first of all, the expressions that they put on a pug yeah. is pretty funny. Pugs are... <laughs> Funny looking in the first place, but uh, yeah, exactly. the expressions on this pug—you you can see—it's mm-hmm. looking around like uh, this is kind of awkward. But they're yeah. like apparently the pugs are really rude. Ah, <laughs> Wait, well, they're if, pugs. Have you ever had a pug? Have you ever met a pug, Josh? I've, I've met a pug. Yes, I have not they're, had a pug. They are. Uh, are they some, rude? Uh, they—I don't know. I heard they fart Maybe? a lot. No, the the pugs that I've met were pretty okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't like that animals that are constantly showing you their butthole kind of bother me. Ah, whatever. I don't. I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs> that there's constantly risk of butthole rubbing. This, this me. is just. This is just. Um, th- this is like uh, Brian from Family Guy's like distant cousin. <laughs> a, a pug, <laughs> and he's just like he's not as confident. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. It's it's like a speed dating thing yeah. where you're you're speed dating this pug and you have to come up with different responses and questions and things like that. And uh, and and you just look at look at that like. The animation's very smooth. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty impressed with uh, with the. I mean, it's smooth animation. So I mean, there's not a whole lot going into it because you're literally yeah, just sitting exactly. across from a pug. But, but it's, it's like it's real enough to not nice like, lighting. Yeah, nice animation. Mm-hmm. The art's cool. If this so. were literally, if this were just like stock images, I don't think it would be as funny. But the fact that they've like really gone and animated it and like given it some some atmosphere, <laughs> they put a lot into, into yeah. dating a pug. Uh-huh. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, if they flesh this out... Step up your game, Japan! If they, <laughs> if they flesh this out, they could uh, they could compete with uh, had, had, had a, had a the one with the pigeons. Hadaful Boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah, that one. So it could be something no. like that, maybe, if they really flesh it out. Yeah, it could be. But, but for right now... The physics on the game, by the way. Uh, yeah. Very impressive that it matches a pug. Like, you saw yeah. it shake its, its head. Yeah, uh-huh. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, so. they've, they've really, like, rigged these models, like, super well. Yeah. And it's free, so go check it out. Hot date. Uh, you can go to 
Itchio. Itchio, yeah. Itchio. Itchio. Developed by uh by um the fuck. Yeah. Uh George uh George Bachelor is is his name. Yeah. So good job, George. Well, uh, you know what else? Good job to George. us. Good <laughs> job to us. For the end of the show. For the end this of the is going to be a long episode. It's going to be a long-ass episode because we had a really good conversation with <coughs> with Hugh uh, from from uh, Stellar Jockeys about prices of games and all that stuff. But that's okay because it's really yep. interesting. Yes. Go listen to it all if you, if you skipped ahead for some reason. Um, you want to so, listen to other stuff by us? Yeah. I'm sorry I'm throwing off your groove, Josh. That's I okay. have to. Uh, first of all, if you like what we do and you want to help us grow as a show and as a website and help us make the indie game community even more awesome, uh, please consider going to our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash indie game riot. You can uh, uh, send a little money to us every month and it will go towards making the show better and all the goals that we have listed uh, on said Patreon page. So please uh, consider going doing that. Thank you for that. Patreon.com slash indie game riot. The other way that you can help us is by contacting us. You can, first of all, go to our live show every Friday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where you can chat with us directly in the chat area and uh, tell us about your thoughts or, or ideas there. Yeah. Or you can just uh, hit us up on Twitter at IGR Podcast or Facebook.com slash IGR Podcast. And, of course, you can email us, contact at IndieGameRide.com. All this and more can be found on IndieGameRide.com. And you have to make sure that when you type it in, you type it in with the same like sick accent that Josh is giving you yeah, right now because if you don't, it won't work. There you go. <laughs> uh, any any last words? Todd, uh, I think I think uh, Rev's going to be really sad that he missed this one. He would have had a field day talking. Dude, if Re- to be fair though, it's good that he wasn't here because if Rev was here, if, if Red, Red, what <laughs> that, I can't talk. It's late. It's been a long episode. If Rev were here, this episode the interview would still be happening. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to go punch myself in the throat so I can stop talking like this. Yeah. And, I'm going to go uh, to bed. <laughs> uh, have, say, oh, say goodbye. new shirts. Get these shirts. Yeah, true. Shirts. Say, yeah. say, sign up for Indie Revolution Expo. Indie Revolution Expo. <laughs> <laughs> say goodbye, sir. See you next time, guys. Have a good one, folks. Toodles. <laughs>